What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everyone, it's Eric alongside Rod. Here we're going to go over a pregame for Gonzaga, number two team in the country, and we're playing on the aircraft carrier for the second time Michigan State's played on a carrier. The last time was against North Carolina back when Obama was president, and now it's his vice president, President Biden, who'll be there, I suppose, in attendance. Uh, this is going to be a you know, marquee matchup. It's on Veterans Day, 11-11. This is one of those days that Izzo had not originally had planned on the schedule, but this game, I think, came together pretty quickly in about sounds like about three or four weeks. Yeah. And then Izzo felt it absolutely had to happen with Michigan State. He felt some ownership of this game. I think he and Ben Hollis came up with it originally when they played North Carolina. And he just couldn't imagine someone else playing this game. And so it's, you know, a great marquee matchup for Michigan State. Great exposure for our team. And, you know, it's going to be Big Ten country out in California. So this is going to be a right. great opportunity for the heart, us. The heartland. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we joke, but you know, it's not long. It will be before we know it, it'll be uh, two years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, again, Gonzaga is a really great story. And this is, you know, I remember when Gonzaga first sort of appeared on the scene really for most, you know, Americans about 25 years ago, where it has gone from a very small D one school, uh, most notable for producing John Stockton, NBA, uh, all-star and, there's a small t- school in Spokane, Washington, and then through the three coaches basically has gone to the point where now it is garnering national recruiting muscle all over, you know, and and is a perennial, at least Final Four competitor or someone who is at, uh, has a chance to make the Final Four every year. It's pretty amazing. And it, in some ways, it's a great story about, you know, the little the little school that could. There's no reason that it should have happened, but it did. But it also probably puts a little bit extra pressure on every other school because every other school has got to be asking themselves, well, why not us, right? Why can't we achieve something like this? I mean, it, it's almost like a perfect storm that it has to happen in order for this to, to work out. But it's a cool story. I mean, you know, they have not yet won the national championship. They've been there. They've been to the finals. So I guess, you know, original impression of this game, it's obviously a big game for Michigan State. We're unranked going to this game. And Gonzaga's, you know, the big giant gorilla, which... I think if someone told you 30 years ago, you would have never believed that could be possibly the case, but here we are. It's a, it's a really interesting story. You know, I, just as a personal side in the early nineties, I went to law school in the Bay area in San Francisco and I had a classmate who actually played for Gonzaga. Um, he was giant. He was like sick, well, giant <laughs> to normal human beings. He was like six, eight, probably two thirty or so big guy. Um, and at that time, you know, Gonzaga was known for one thing. John Stockton went there. That was it. 
In fact, they didn't even make a postseason tournament of, and they've been playing basketball since the early 1900s, I think 1915. They did not make a postseason tournament until the 93, 94 season when they went to the NIT. It took them that long to get to any postseason game. <laughs> yeah. um, they then made the ends, but that season when they made under Dan Fitzgerald, uh, they made the NIT. That kind of started this rejuvenation. So when Stockton was there, for example, they didn't make any postseason play. He never played in the NCAA tournament. Um, it shows you how hard it can be. Uh, in two of the next five seasons after that, they actually made the NCAA tournament. And then they made the NIT in some of those years where they didn't qualify for the NCAA tournament. And that was partially under Fitzgerald, but he eventually stepped down to focus on being the athletic director. And he was succeeded briefly um, by uh, Dan Monson. Now, Dan Monson, some of our listeners may remember, had a period of time where he was the head coach at Minnesota. Um, he was also the son of Don Monson, who was an assistant on Judd Heathcote's staff and was part of the coaching staff that won the national title uh, in 1979. So, so Dan Monson actually spent some, some of his high school years in East Lansing. Uh, so a little bit of a Michigan State. And there are a lot of connections between the two programs. You know, um, Obviously, I'm sure most all of our listeners uh, recall that Judd Heathcote relocated to Spokane when uh, once he retired from MSU and became a very big booster uh, of Gonzaga's while he was out there. He was very interested in the program, supportive, had deep connections with him. And so through that, Mark Few and, and Tom Izzo have developed a relationship. Um, but really, what we've come to know as Gonzaga is a result of Mark Few. So Mark Few was on uh, Dan Monson's staff when Dan Monson decided. Now, now try to picture this move in 2022 to show you how much I has know, changed. Yeah. Dan Monson leaves Gonzaga after I think it was a Sweet 16 run in 99. It was either Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. Um, leaves Gonzaga to take the Minnesota job, which at the time, believe it or not, if you're too young to remember that, made total sense in 1999. <laughs> yeah total sense and mark few gets elevated to the head coaching position mark few takes what had been a nice story but hey there's a lot of programs you can find in america that have a, a solid four or five year run he took that program and continued to build it and build it and build it so for for many years i think they succeeded based on a certain kind of recruiting model, which was they would find undervalued West coast kids. And they had a lot of those kind of guys. And then they supplemented that with a lot of foreign players. If you think back to Gonzaga over the aughts and even into this decade um, or the last decade, I mean, the teens, um, there were a lot of foreign players who were really, really key guys for Gonzaga and a lot of that success in recruiting those identifying and successfully recruiting those players went to a longtime assistant on Mark few staff, a guy named Tommy Lloyd, who is now the head coach of Arizona and whose son Liam might've irritated you last night because he was on Northern Arizona's team and he was running his mouth a lot. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, 
so Mark Few used that to build his program. And the, the final step of their evolution has come, I would say, within the last five years, where they are actually now able to go compete against anybody head to head for blue chip American high school players and win those recruitments. So if you go back last year, Chet Holmgren, who is consensus best player in his class, Gonzaga beats everybody for him, right? Um, the year before, um, and why am I drawing a blank of his name? The point guard from Minnesota, uh, Jalen Suggs, same story. Everybody in America wanted Jalen Suggs. Gonzaga gets him. Those are two kids from Minnesota. They're not from the Pacific yeah. Northwest. And he goes and gets those guys, beats everybody on them. Uh, Drew Timmy, who's the star of this team, uh, has been an amazing story for them as a four-year player, um, despite how good he's been. Drew Timmy's recruitment accelerated to the point that uh, by the stage that he committed to Gonzaga, he had heavyweights, including Michigan State, involved in that recruitment across the board. Could have gone almost anywhere. Goes to Gonzaga. He's a Texas kid with Michigan roots. His dad is from Michigan. So pretty impressive and amazing. And it's been it's been done at a very steady pace where they have continued to evolve over time. And now, you know, you mentioned you called them a, a gorilla or heavyweight, whatever you said. They're in everybody's top five, I think they're um, number two generally. That's why we use that number on the rankings generally behind North Carolina. And that's that nobody bats an eye. That's expected. No. And we, we saw news last week reported that Gonzaga may join the Big 12 as I, I don't know whether it's basketball only or whether it's all sports besides football. They don't have a football program. I'm not sure what form that will take, but if that's true and that comes to pass, my God, what an incredible statement. And there had already been stories about the big East trying to get them. So yeah. it is a remarkable story. We shouldn't lose sight of it, that it, it, where they came from to where they are now, if you're, let's say if you're 35, probably most of your life following the sport in any detail, Gonzaga has been a factor, but it wasn't always that way. And, and I think you're right too, in that it puts a lot of pressure on other programs. Butler is a good example. Now Butler has done a great job of coming from, you know, where they were in the horizon league all the way to the big East. But you see that they are now a program that, you know, demands winning to the point that yep. they fired an alum, Laval Jordan, who had struggled a little bit, and they brought back Thad Mata out of retirement. They're serious about winning. Loyola of Chicago has had this kind of evolution where they went from the horizon to the Missouri Valley. And I think, are they in the American now? I've, they've moved up big another East. level. I thought they're, or the they're A10, not in the maybe Big the A10. East. I think the A10. A10, that's right. I'm sorry, not the American, the A10. Um, you know, a similar thing. We'll see how um, Drew Valentine handles that. But again, it's I, I think, as I said at the, out, at the outset, 
you know, a lot of programs have a four or five year run where they can rise up from a mid-major level and, and really have a nice sustained period of success. But to do what Gonzaga has done, that is still a unique story. Nobody else has really done that in, in recent years. And it's incredibly impressive. And it's really mostly attributable to Mark Few. Yeah, I was going to just add that I think the the important part there is that Mark Few has been so permanent in there as a coach for what twenty years almost now. And that's a, and that's another we shouldn't lose sight of that, right? Because he could have left for a, twenty other programs, right? That's the amazing for thing. years. The betting was all right. Well, some big program is going to come along and take him, and it hasn't happened. And then at different points, people wondered about the NBA, and that hasn't happened. He has done basically an equivalent to what Tom Izzo has done at Michigan State, although it's even it's far, far more remarkable because of where Gonzaga oh, yeah. was. Um, at least, you know, Tom Izzo was always in the Big Ten. He was at a school that had won a national championship and been to Final Fours before he ever got there. You know, um, Mark Few's story is even more amazing in that respect. And it's you know, it's a I think it's a testament to. The idea, which is something we've heard Izzo say a lot over the years, is, you know, if if you've got a good deal, if the deal is good for the school and the deal is good for you, why leave? You know, why assume that it's going to be better somewhere else? And I think and now, you know, partially because he's no longer a young coach, but the idea of Mark Few leaving for anywhere would be just stunning. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I suspect he's going to retire in the Gonzaga job, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The court will be named after him or the arena. Yeah, I mean, there's sure. no reason. Why, why would he move at this point? At this stage, you know, I, I used to think maybe a decade or so ago, well, the, you know, the one thing that would be easier if you went to an Indiana or a Kentucky or a place like that is you would no longer have to continue to work so hard to land, you know, foreign kids and, and blend them into your thing. It would be easier to recruit the truly elite domestic high school talent. Well, he's, he's long past that, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's able, as I just said, he's the, he didn't do it in this year's class, but the two previous years, he, he got top five players. That's, that's unbelievable. And, and let me tell you something else. If you haven't been to Spokane, that the fact that you're drawing that and you built this in Spokane, <laughs> and I, I think the Pacific Northwest is unbelievable. I think it is, uh, I think it's the most beautiful part of the country if you look at Oregon and Washington. But Spokane itself really isn't all that great. It's it's amazing that he's done what he's done. And I, and I think the the one other thing I'd add to this whole discussion is, you know, we were talking a couple episodes ago. We've we touched on a few times on the NCAA tournament and its importance in college basketball in general with the, the spectacle of the, you know, the tourney and the hope that yeah. it provides all these teams, the 350 teams have a chance of making the, you know, the dance. This is a really, a really good testament to what the power of the NCAA tournament really is. I mean, we've seen many, 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 many coaches who take success in the NCAA tournament and they get a bigger coaching job. They go from Siena to, you know, Iowa, for instance, or, you know, but you look at, you look at what few has done and because he stayed and he had that success, he's been able to, to grow that program primarily because of the postseason appearances, because then you can get, right. you know, if you're going to be a bigger matchups, you're going to you know, guarantee the tournament exposure players are going to want to play for you. And you know, 
you have to have everything you know, fit into the right place. You got to have the right guys helping you recruit. Obviously, you got to have the good success. I mean, you have to have a league that you can dominate enough to get that one bid league. It, anyway, it, it's it, but it's all because of the NCAA tournament. And so you worry about you know change the NCAA tournament where now the exposure is not worth as much, or you know this, the the specialness of of making it to the the dance, right? And what enabled this story to start was the David versus Goliath element of it in 1999 under Dan Monson. The fact that Gonzaga was rising up, and we see stories like this periodically. You know, last year we saw it with St. Peter's, right? And you talked about coaches. Shaheen Holloway rode that right into the Seton Hall job, his alma mater, off a tremendous run at St. Peter's. We've seen it, you know, time and time again. We've seen that story. Uh, Shaka Smart, my God, he, he's <laughs> yeah. leveraged an unbelievable career out of one yeah, run. ECU. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, it, yeah, you you lose that. And, you know, I don't know that in my lifetime I expect to ever see another Gonzaga. I kind of doubt it because that's so unlikely to begin with. But, boy, the, the hope and the dreams of that, you're right. It really relies on the NCAA tournament. I mean, Gonzaga has done has done this on two ends of the system. You know, most, most major conference schools, it's the season is largely about the conference regular season, right? I mean, the NCAA tournament is when everybody gets judged, but, you know, the, the bulk of the time that you're spent engaged in it is in conference play. With Gonzaga, the attention is certainly on the NCAA tournament, but it's also historically been this time of year in November and December because they've known, well, we're not going to have marquee games in the West Coast Conference, even though I think that league has gotten steadily better over time to the point where you have St. Mary's, which is kind of a, a B-minus Gonzaga. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. mm -hmm. BYU joined that league, and they've been very competitive. Occasionally, you'll have another program here or there that will rise. But um, like San Francisco last year. Uh, but. Uh, they've known, hey, we just don't have marquee, um, marquee programs, marquee wins in our conference schedule. So they've consequently taken a page from the Tom Izzo, anybody, anytime, anywhere notebook, and they are, they are a fixture in November and December. You know, you talked about Michigan State being involved in this aircraft carrier game. Um, it's also no accident that Gonzaga is in it because Gonzaga has continually looked to put themselves in high attention situations. And they did that, you know, at a point when they weren't quote unquote Gonzaga yet. They did that, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, in order to help elevate the program. And it's worked. You know, if you think about it, in November and December, People who are interested in college basketball will always see a lot of Gonzaga because that's their opportunity to get attention, getting high stakes opponents and they'll play them. They'll play anybody. And I think that's some of the brilliance of Tom Izzo. It's for the same reasons that he has elevated Michigan state as a national brand because of, you know, playing that these anyone anywhere and being successful, obviously at times, but the champions classic, the aircraft carrier games, and so he has built a brand that is that we saw it's with a recruitment of Jackson Kohler. We saw with Cone, uh, Cone Carr and then uh, Gehrig Normand. I, without a doubt, it's because of the national brand that he's built. And I think to Graham Couch's 
point a couple uh, episodes ago where we were talking to him. I think Izzo probably underplayed what his value was as a national brand until recently. I think he's recognized that he can go out and just kind of just snatch people and he's yeah. never really tried before. And I think he, I think now he recognized that he is a big deal and, and, uh, and he's built it maybe not intentionally, but I think partly in part. I would only differ with Graham in, in this sense, I then not to get derailed on it, but um, I don't know if I believe it's that, Izzo devalued in his own mind what his brand was nationally as much as it was. He had a preferred method of going about recruiting and building his team. And that preferred method largely involved getting to know kids extremely well. And that also means those around them, you know, their family, their support structure, and wanting to make sure that, uh, that he had a team that he didn't have to worry about things that maybe other programs do that. He had the relation, the depth of relationship with these guys that maybe other programs don't have. And because he knew them so well, and that that kind of necessitated recruiting them from a distance where he could do that. He could get to know them. Well, I think that that's changed for a variety of reasons, you know, and he's not going to go down with the ship and have a lesser team from a talent perspective in order to maintain that. And I think that's why, in part, he's gone uh, away. But I do think there is a point there with what Graham said and what you just said, that what he's finding as he's doing that more is that the message is received, you know, very, very well. And that's, yeah. again, that's something that, go going back to Gonzaga, Mark Few you know, uh, if you look back over the years, they historically had had a lot of Pacific Northwest and definitely a lot of West Coast guys among among the U.S. players they had. Now you are seeing a much broader scope of kids that they are. They truly are national in terms of how they're recruiting. And so that's something that, again, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But that's what's so impressive to me, maybe more than anything else about what Gonzaga has done, is how steadily and consistently they've built and evolved that program to get it to the point where now, I mean, with honestly, with Coach K gone from Duke, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anybody in college basketball right now that you would say definitively in a head to head matchup, you know, on, on just a, an average kid, um, the average elite player, I mean, that you would say, well, Gonzaga's got to, you know, working from behind in terms of perception or prestige. It's just not the case. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, there's, there's some other programs, but it, at worst, you're saying they're on the same, they're on par with like Kansas and Kentucky. Right. That's what Michigan I mean. State, but those right? programs, but those programs don't have, you don't look at any of those programs, at least in my opinion, and say with the, you know, the average great player and say, well, Gonzaga's working from behind. I mean, obviously there could be given situations where those programs will have an advantage over Gonzaga, but I'm just saying in the abstract. You might, oh, yeah, you might have said sure. that about Duke with K, but Duke with John Shire, even though he's recruited incredibly well so far, I don't think it's the same. At least I'm not ready to say that. Well, let's talk about the game. <laughs> so we, 
<clears throat> the Bulldogs are ranked number two, like I said. They have had one common opponent, sort of. Both Michigan State and Gonzaga played Texas, uh, Tennessee, Michigan State in a scrimmage that was close. Gonzaga in an open exhibition game that was uh, televised. Uh, the Bulldogs are 1-0, just like Michigan State, with a 104-63 victory over North Florida on Monday. And they're led by 6'2 sophomore from Seattle, Nolan Hickman. He's the uh, point guard, and he averaged 5.1 points a game on 44, 31, and 67 shooting as a freshman, playing about 18 minutes a game. And uh, the last game, he scored, had six points, five assists, and no turnovers against North Florida. Yeah, um, this is where Gonzaga is is in an interesting spot and relative to recent years. And, um, you know, Nolan Hickman, to be to be fair, this is a kid who was originally committed to Kentucky, if I remember correctly, decommitted, went to Gonzaga. Again, now he's a Seattle kid, so he is for the Pacific Northwest. But still, that says a lot about it. And it wasn't like Kentucky decided to recruit over him. It's, you know, they, they, he just decided (laughs) to go to Gonzaga. He was, so he's a very high, we're talking about a, I think he was a McDonald's all American, but he's definitely like a top 30 type kid. So an elite high school player and he played last year. He certainly played a role, but he wasn't coming right in and becoming the guy by any means. Well, now he's their point guard. And he had a solid game against North Florida, the zero turnovers to five assists they'll like. But Gonzaga the last two years has really had an incredible run with point guard play. So two years ago, they had not only Suggs, who was just a remarkable physical talent as a freshman, but they also had Andrew Nembhard, the Florida transfer. And then last year, Suggs was gone, but Nembhard was still around. And they just have had high, high level point guard play. And the feeling, the sense that I get from expectations around this team and also some of how they played against Tennessee in that scrimmage is they're, they're not sure yet whether they've got anything close to that level at the point. Um, Hickman's a guy, again, very good reputation as a recruit, a lot of talent, but there are questions as to what level of play he's going to give them at a very, very important position, particularly defensively. There are real questions around this perimeter group. You know, uh, Mark few has built Gonzaga largely around the concept of great, great offense. And in fact, for a long time, defense was considered their Achilles heel. But if you look at recent years, I mean, they've never been like a vintage Tom Izzo team, but they've gotten better as a defensive group in part, because they've had a lot of good length um, all around the roster, all around the floor. They don't have as much of that on the surface this year. And that scrimmage against Tennessee in the second half, and look, Tennessee's a very, very good team, but Tennessee in the backcourt just waxed them. That's where they took a five point halftime deficit, ended up winning by 19. Um, And it was largely around guard play. So that's where the concern is. Gonzaga's got talent, but there are questions. So next would be Rasir Bolton, 6'3 senior. Uh, he's in his second season at, at uh, Gonzaga. He played for Penn State and also Iowa State. He averaged 11.2 points a game on 50, 46, and 82 shooting and had 11 points on three for four against North Florida from three. Yeah, and and people may remember uh, 
Rashir Bolton uh, was the guy who um, had a, a very unfortunate incident uh, with Pat, his head coach at Penn State, Pat Chambers. That actually didn't come out, if I remember correctly, until he had already done a year at Iowa State. He'd already transferred and left, and then the story came out, uh, if I'm remembering, if I got my timeline right, about you know racially charged exchange, which ended up leading to Pat Chambers' dismissal. So you may remember that about him. You may remember that he was a very effective scorer for Penn State, moved on to Iowa State, was good there, and he's been very good at Gonzaga. He is a big-time shooter above and beyond anything else. So that's what, if you're a Michigan State fan or you're Michigan State's team, obviously, that's what you're concerned about is uh, can you do a decent enough job holding receiver Bolton in check from three? Cause he's just a pure shooter. Next would be forward Julian Strother, a six, seven junior. Uh, he's a returning starter averaged almost 12 points a game on 50, 37 and 71 shooting last year. And he put up 50, or 16 uh, and five in the opening game against North Florida. Yeah. And I think the, the sense I have, from doing a lot of reading and, and prep for this around Gonzaga is if there's a guy who seems likeliest to be their breakout player and Gonzaga's had this happen a lot over the years where, you know, they have a guy who's a solid you know, role player or starter, but maybe the fourth option, let's say. And then as they get older, they become the focal point. Uh, if they had a guy on this team that would fit that bill, he would seem to be the likely candidate. Good, not great jump shooter last year, but I think they believe he's got another level in him and he could do more than that. He's not just a jump shooter. Um, so yeah, he's another guy you really have to, you really have to watch, uh, in terms of, um, his ability to put the ball in the basket, particularly from the perimeter. Yeah. I think that'll be a common theme with this Gonzaga team. A lot of guys who can score. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Next, yeah. Next would be Anton Watson, 6'8", 225 pound senior. He's a hometown boy, as and he's uh, started 17 games less as a sophomore, but it's generally been a reserve. He had a bigger role this season, expected to have, and he's averaged 7.2 points and 4.7 rebounds a game last season, on 54, 23, and 70 shooting, and he had 10 and 4 in the opening opener against Northern Florida. Yeah. Um a little bit of a return back to uh, the rest of the world for Gonzaga. And, and that's not to knock him because he's a good player. But if you recall, last season, their foreman was Chet Holmgren, who was just he's a freak. Good, right? of, yeah, he was just a freak <laughs> of nature. You know, seven one, a legit three point shooter um, and also gave them rim protection. Well, they're not going to get those same things from this guy. In fact, that's the only real, he's been a solid player, but the real knock on him offensively is over his first three years, he's never really been able to develop into a stretch four. Um, so, you know, that's, a, that's not, that's not ideal for Gonzaga. I think much like with Tom Mizzo's offense, ideally Mark few would like to be able to get some jump shooting from somewhere in his post combination. And he really doesn't have that uh, either with the two starters or um, with the, the primary front court reserve they'll play. Um, and oftentimes that is a weapon that he has over the years at Gonzaga. He doesn't really have it this year. 
So I've seen some Gonzaga fans as I've, as I've done my research for this game, you know, talk about how they would like to see maybe Gonzaga to go small and surround Timmy with essentially four guards to get more of that. But I, I don't see that happening, at least not yet. So it'll be an interesting contrast to Michigan State where both of the guys who play four absolutely are stretch threats. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. that's almost the entire team at Michigan State is a threat from deep. Uh, so finally, Drew Timmy, uh, aforementioned player, one of the favorites for National Player of the Year, 6'10", 235-pound senior, averaged 18.5 points a game and almost seven rebounds a game last season on 59, 29, and 6 shooting. That's more than six. Uh had 22 and two boards in the opener against North Florida. Yeah. Uh, just boy, if you're, if you're building a high level college basketball program to get the career that Gonzaga has gotten from drew Timmy is just about the perfect thing you could ever ask for. Um, in part because they've kept him for four years. And to get a guy who his freshman year, he was a reserve. He was a productive reserve, but he wasn't the main guy by any means. But then the last two years running and certainly this year, again, you're talking about a guy who's in the first team, all American national player of the year mix. And yet he's never really been a serious threat to go pro. I mean, you never know when a guy will just make that decision. They've had enough, even if they're not um, a first round draft pick. Um, and just decide to go and, and they're, they're done with college, you know, but he didn't do that. And so you couldn't have asked for more if you were Mark few, I really, uh, not that it took a genius to recognize this, but <laughs> I will, cause we haven't seen Gonzaga, at least in a game that counts since he's been there, but I'll, I'll bring this back up. I, uh, for a few years running, I would go, to Nike's EYBL event in Indianapolis. And that year I was particularly interested in a couple of big men, Michigan state was recruiting and were considered to have a great shot at three of them, actually um, Vernon Carey, uh, who ended up going to Duke, Isaiah Stewart, who went to Washington and then trace Jackson Davis who went to Indiana. Michigan state was heavily in the mix with all three of those guys, but I saw Vernon Carey play drew Timmy and drew Timmy was a guy who was kind of on the fringe of things. He was from Texas, but as I mentioned, his dad um, went to, uh, or was from Michigan, was from the Muskegon area, if I remember correctly. And we have a poster, there's a poster both on the Spartan Mag board and actually, um, and thanks for, for doing this, um, has been active on our own message board. Uh, I believe his, his handle on our board is Oxford Strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he played high school basketball, with drew Timmy's dad. So he was way early on drew Timmy as a serious prospect. And so by the point in time that I saw him, drew Timmy was like maybe a fringe top 50 guy. And I saw him play head to head against Vernon Carey and just dust him. Just <laughs> and Vernon Carey was considered the number one player in the country at that point. I'm not sure whether he finished there, but he was, he was considered to be as good as anyone. And drew Timmy just outplayed him flat out and uh, Michigan state had an, I don't recall if Izzo saw it, but I know they had an assistant watching that game. And I remember posting at the time on the Spartan mag board saying they've got to get involved 
This guy is note perfect for Tom Ezzo. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's incredibly skilled in the post. His work rate is phenomenal. You know, his motor, he's constantly moving. He run, he'll run the floor. I just thought it was perfect. And unfortunately, by that stage, Gonzaga had already built such a relationship that NMSU didn't get involved immediately. I think it took them another maybe month or so, if I remember right, to offer. And by that point, it was just too late. Um, you know, he'd already fallen in love with Gonzaga, and that was that. Um, and you can't argue that he made a bad choice. I mean, he's been featured there. He's been to a national title game. He's been to a uh, final, at least one final four, maybe two. Uh, I don't recall. Um, you know, and been a and been a headline guy, and I'm sure has done well. I don't know this for certain, but I would assume has done very well for himself in NIL. You know, as uh, as high a profile college player as there's been over the last couple of years, uh, he poses a real problem for Michigan State because you're talking about a guy who's always been incredibly skilled, great footwork, knows how to finish, knows how to use angles, knows how to use his body to create space, um, plays very smart, has a great motor, so he's constantly coming. Uh, and now add in that he's a senior. So he's seen everything, you know, um, I think he's, this is putting it mildly, he's an incredibly tough cover and he's going to pose a real challenge for Michigan state. Now, the one thing he's not been able to do, which frankly has surprised me because I thought seeing him at the point I did in high school, I thought he already showed enough signs of this, just watching him shoot warmups that I figured, oh, by now he'll have certainly added a three point shot. He hasn't really been able to do that. And I think that plus, you know, less than top tier athleticism and the fact that he's not a very good defensive player is what's kept him in the college game. What has not made him an elite pro prospect at the NBA level, at least. Um, So it's not as if he's a perfect player, but boy, the things he does well, he does as well as anybody in recent years. I mean, he's, he's kind of what, and I'm not saying they're exactly the same player, but Drew Timmy is what you have to hope Jackson Kohler becomes a reasonable facsimile of to one extent or another. I'm not saying he'll ever be quite that level of player, but you get my meaning. Like that sure. is the ideal for a kid like Jackson Kohler, his strengths and weaknesses is to be what Drew Timmy is. So you mentioned Timmy is from an athletic standpoint, not, maybe not on par with other players. Do you think that is his rebounds of only two last game? I mean, cause I'm assuming he's playing almost 30 minutes against North Florida. It, do you think that's uh, he's more not going to guy. He's going to get a range rebound. Do you think that's a, another weakness of his? Yeah. I mean, he's look, Gonzaga is not a great, they're not an elite rebounding program and they never have been under few. Uh, we'll, t- we'll return to that theme a little later, but um yeah, I mean, he's not as bad as two rebounds. Looks like. I think he averaged just a little under seven a game last year. But, right. um, yeah, I think that can have an impact. You know, also, in fairness to him, last year he was playing with another seven-footer in Holmgren. I mean, they had other guys <laughs> who could rebound as well. But this year, at least, at least on the surface, it would seem that they need him to be better than he's been in that area and yeah athletic ability sometimes that can be part of it well let's go to the reserves end we'll start with malachi smith a 6'4 205 pound registered junior 
He's uh, on his third school at Gonzaga. He started at Wright State, where he was all Horizon freshman. Then he played for a couple of years at Chattanooga and has now transferred to Gonzaga. He averaged almost 20 points a game on 49, 41, and 83 shooting and also almost seven rebounds a game last year. Yeah, this is a good player, and he got off to a good start in uh, in their opener against North Florida. He was in double figures. He's the sixth man, but he's going to play a ton. Um, the, you know, sometimes we're, we're dubious about transfer up guys where you're not sure just how good they'll be moving up a level. This is a kid where I think the belief is that most of it's going to translate. Um, and, and so he's going to be a key guy for them in terms of giving them more offensive punch off that bench at, at the guard spots. Next would be Hunter Salas, a 6'5 sophomore guard. Highly rated, didn't play a lot last year, but expected to play do more this season. He averaged 4.3 points a game on 56, 26, and 71 shooting in about 14 minutes a game. In the opener, he scored 10 and had six boards in 24 minutes. Yeah, good good opener for him, but um, you know another very similar profile to Hickman in the sense that highly regarded guy that they won the recruitment for, beating out some heavyweight schools. And then just to show you how good Gonzaga's program has been, he averaged 14 minutes a game last year. So it's not like he walked in, you know, most other places, the kids like these two guys would have walked into starting roles and been playing, you know, at least 25 minutes a night, not the case. Uh, but he's stepping up like Hickman is play expected to play a much bigger role. And as you say, he got 24 minutes the other night, um, this is not a particularly deep Gonzaga team. So I think it's penciled in that all these guys we're talking about are going to play heavy roles. Like you, you could figure they're all going to be at or above the 20 minute mark. I suspect next would be Efton Reed. He's a seven footer, 240 pound sophomore played last year at LSU. He averaged 6.3 points a game and 4.3 rebounds a game starting for the Tigers. Uh, he had eight and eight in the opener in only 12 minutes. So uh, pretty productive yeah, and, and a, a key guy because they don't. He's he's they do have some other bigger players, but he's the only one besides Timmy that is expected to be solidly in a rotation role, and so they need him to be productive. And again, it says something about the Gonzaga program. Kid, a very highly regarded recruit, didn't have maybe the year that some thought he would, but he started every game for LSU. So we're talking about a guy who was starting and playing a ton at an SEC program, and he opts to transfer to Gonzaga, where at least for this year, he's a backup. Yeah. It tells you something. It's the kind of move that, frankly, you know, Duke and Kentucky make. I mean, you look at Duke. Duke did that with adding Ryan Young from Northwestern and uh, Grandison from Illinois, both of whom, played heavy minutes at their big tens programs last year and would have been focal points this year. They opted to transfer to Duke to play lesser roles, right? Kentucky's had examples of this over the years too. And, and now Gonzaga apparently is able to do it, but Reed is a key guy. I mean, they, they will play him sometimes in a twin tower lineup with Timmy, but mostly he's going to be like the guy to give Timmy a break. Cause Timmy's never been like a 35 minute a night guy. They, they've, they feel like they need to get him some rest in order to get the best out of him. Uh, but we'll, we'll see with regard to Reed, how he develops. Yeah. You'd also suspect with Timmy not being a great outside shooter that 
it you just gives a little bit of liability. Although I guess their other four is not really great outside shooting. It's either. it's one weakness with this team. They've got plenty of shooting from the backcourt, but they don't have. You know, Michigan State probably doesn't need to be overly worried about pick and pop in this game. It'll be a surprise if Gonzaga does damage that way. Next would be Colby Brooks, a 6'7 sophomore. He scored four points in the opener, and he's sort of a spot duty guy who will come in as the ninth man. Yeah, and and a former walk-on. You know, again, this is, I think, largely, I've mentioned a couple other guys here at the end, but as I look at it, to me, this looks like an eight-man rotation. Yeah, because the next one would be Ben Gregg, a 6'10 sophomore, who's you know going to be backing up Timmy and Reed, so probably you're not going to see him play outside of foul issues or injuries. Probably at best, you're talking about a similar kind of role to what Michigan State has Carson Cooper in this year, at least right now. Well, let's go on to the five keys of the game. Number one would be guards. So we know that Gonzaga had a little difficulty with the Tennessee guards, like you mentioned. Uh, And Michigan State, obviously, the strength of this team, as far as we can tell right now, is the guard play with Walker, Hogard, and uh, even Holloman and you know Akins to some degree too at this point. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a really, really good test and opportunity for Michigan State's backcourt group. Do not get me wrong. Gonzaga has a lot of talent. You know, um, Salas and um, uh, the point guard were highly, highly, highly ranked recruits. You know, Rasir Bolton has become a college star. You know, he's a big time shooter. Malachi Mm -hmm. Smith was among the top uh, transfer uh, players in the portal last year. So there's talent here. But Michigan State has a couple things I think could play to their advantage at this spot. One is the word out of the Tennessee scrimmage was. Gonzaga's guards were not comfortable when Tennessee got up into them. That was something that you really couldn't do to Gonzaga the last couple of years, because with Suggs and Nembhard, you had so much talent in Suggs case, just pure physical talent. And, um, in, with Nembhard, you had, um, you had a guy who was just so smart and so skilled that it was really hard to rattle those guys. The feeling was Tennessee in the second half of that game really got into Gonzaga in a way that they didn't when they played Michigan State. Michigan State played Tennessee much tougher. That that is the word. Um, that doesn't necessarily, you know, transitive properties doesn't necessarily apply here. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <If> but, <only. laughs> right. But I think with what we think we know about Michigan State's group defensively. You know, can they disrupt these guys? Can they get into Rasir Bolton enough to maybe, you know, force a two for seven game from three, that kind of thing? You know, can they do that? I don't think Gonzaga is going to be kicking the ball around. They're not a turnover prone team, even against Tennessee. They had single digit turnovers, but it's not all about creating turnovers. It's really about disrupting what they want to do and making them uncomfortable. So can Michigan state do that? And then at the other end, Again, from what I understand, the feeling is Gonzaga's guards are not as good defensively as what they've had in recent years. And we know that Michigan State is going to ask a lot of their guards offensively on the other side. 
So can MSU get, you know, can um, Tyson Walker maybe get that, that jumper dialed in a little bit better than last night um, and, uh, and hit some of those open threes? Can A.J. Hogard get to the rim and finish or create for teammates and, you know, force Gonzaga's defense to account for him in ways they don't want to? Uh, is Jay Nakeds ready to take another step forward? You know, that, that type of thing. Yeah, I think there's someone who posted on our board the other day that uh, Hogard, you know, when, the, when he's in the game, the offense ran very smoothly. He was very effective. And when he went out, it was we really uh, struggled a little bit more. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I feel like with Hogard, the one thing I mentioned that Grand Valley game, and I think it was to some extent the first half of last night's game as well, just a casualness and just not intensity that he probably needs to open up the game. And he can't, I mean, they can't afford to have any soft times during this game. This can be 40 minutes. No, of ca- casualness hell, you know. needs to be out the window on this one. That's for sure. Cause for all I'm saying about Gonzaga's guards, seeming like MSU may be able to get an edge there. Look, there's enough talent that if MSU doesn't bring it with maximum focus and effort, they could get eaten up. Uh, next would be defensive rebounding. No second key to the game. Uh, you know, Gonzaga is a very good offensive rebounding team, and this is going to be a staple for our keys of the game probably until Michigan State proves oh, otherwise. It's, they, yeah, I mean, they're, handled, right? they're not historically a program that's done a lot of offensive rebounding. It's not a strength for them. And I don't mean that they're horrible, but it's they're never I, I look back through like the last 10 years of uh, of Ken Palm numbers for Gonzaga, and I think they were in the top 30 in offensive rebounding once. So it's not a staple. And last year they were, I don't know, they were in the hundreds. They were outside the top 100. But if you are Michigan State, you've had trouble the last couple of years, even with less than great offensive rebounding groups. And we know Gonzaga has enough going for them offensively that if you get a missed shot and you don't end the possession with a defensive rebound, you are really flirting with disaster. You really are. You're giving Gonzaga a chance to bury you if you're giving them a lot of second opportunities. The next key to the game would be transition. So this is uh, Michigan State has not really looked themselves, I guess, at the transition game. They got it going a little bit last game, but, uh, you know, they're going to need to really move a little bit more. And, you know, I suppose if you think that you might have a little bit poor defense uh, at the guard position with Gonzaga, maybe you can exploit that a little bit and get into the lane, get in good position and get to at least secondary break points too. It's going to, it's going to, it's always interesting to see games like this and to see, um, you know, teams that don't see Michigan state with regularity to see how prepared they are for dealing with Michigan state's break. And then on the flip side of it, how insistent is this Michigan state team in looking to run? Now I actually thought, they got better performance from um, Hogard at least mm-hmm. yesterday than we did in the exhibition game, even though the fast break points didn't reflect it. Um, I always talk about how that's a, in my mind, that's a misleading stat because I don't ever know how it, how it gets calculated <laughs> is always beyond me because it seems to defy oftentimes what I think I saw. Um, but, I think for Michigan state, and it's not even just about this game. It's this, this next sequence of heavyweight opponents. I think if Michigan state's going to hold their own 
and win these games or win their share of them. Part of that equation, it's hard for me to see them doing that without getting something done on the break. You know, uh, that, yeah. that just that that's so often when Michigan State has success, both in November and December and then again in March. It's these kinds of equations where they're playing programs that don't see them every year and aren't really prepared for what the Michigan State break can do. And MSU takes advantage and uses the transition game as an equalizer. And I, I kind of feel like they need that um, here, you know. Uh, number four key to the game would be the fives. And so this is what the position I think people were, uh, Michigan State fans were most concerned about going into the season. I'm less concerned in general, uh, but definitely, I mean, Drew Timmy, going against Drew Timmy, the advantage has to be with Gonzaga until proven otherwise. And so this is going to be a real challenge for, can you not give up so much and maybe get enough on the other end to sort of keep it semi-even, right? Right. Yeah. This is, look, you're, you're not going to have an advantage at the five. We, we know this. Um, but I think the challenge for Michigan State is, can you make Drew Timmy work harder than he wants to, harder than Mark Few wants him to have to work in order to get his production? That should be theoretically possible to do. You know, or we're, not, we're not asking for Mati Sissoko to go out there and outscore him. But, <laughs> but we're asking for him, you know, maybe – Maybe you hold Drew Timmy to, you know, eight for 18 from the floor, something like that. You know, that's what you want to see. Um, and I think that, again, Drew Timmy, not the greatest defender. So can Michigan State get some scoring? You know, will they bring double and triple teams in the post the way Northern Arizona was? I would not imagine that they will, at least not to start. So. You know, can Jackson Kohler get a little something humming when he's in the game? If he's being guarded by Drew Timmy, maybe, you know, and again, I'm not saying that Michigan State's going to have any realistic shot to equal the production that Gonzaga gets at the five, but can they make it challenging? That's the question. You almost wonder if it's a little bit like playing uh, Dickinson from Michigan, you know, except Dickinson's probably got a little bit better outside shot than, than Timmy. Obviously, Timmy's a little more skilled inside than Dickinson, but in some ways you're kind of playing the same sort of player, right? Yes, yes. I think all of the, you know, they're all a little different, but um, the challenge is roughly the same for Michigan State. You're not hoping to outplay those guys. If you do, boy, you just, you know, you, you do cartwheels, but you just want to make them work. You know, if you, if you look back at that, that you know you mentioned Dickinson the first game at Breslin Dickinson had points as I recall like he right. produced for them but Michigan State really took advantage of him at the defensive end and they made him work a little more for what he got whereas in Ann Arbor he just had a cakewalk you can't give Drew Timmy a cakewalk you've got to make him work yeah that's probably as much preventing him from getting the entry when he's like, you know, four feet from the basket, you got at least absolutely from a little bit further out, right? It's, it's work early in the possession. Yeah. I mean, I can remember vividly the last time Michigan state, and this is hard to believe, but the last time Michigan state played Gonzaga in a regular season game was all the way back 
in 2011, if you can believe that. It's been that long. Um, Michigan State went into Spokane and beat them. And mm-hmm. Gonzaga, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who their post players were that year, but they had some good ones. And I remember vividly talking about Michigan State's success in that game. So much of it had to do with the early defense they played. They didn't let Gonzaga's post players get settled in to the spots they wanted to be in. They fought them and, and made those guys catch the ball out a little higher than they wanted to. Didn't make it as easy for them to get to the spots they want to be in. And, um, you know, the challenge is different here. Michigan State's not, not rolling out um, Derek Nix and, and Adrian Payne and Draymond Green. In this game, but, and, and Gonzaga has a better player even than they had then in Drew Timmy, but, um, it's roughly a similar kind of thing. Yeah. You, you want to do your work early. And finally, the perennial key to the game is turnovers. You know, we have body work two games so far, the exhibition game and the regular season game and Michigan State actually pretty good. I mean, last game, I think they had less than 10 turnovers. They did. They had nine. nine. Yep. So the two games combined, we're talking about an average of 11 and a half a game, which would be That's like eight under our average for the beginning of the season. Usually. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It would be incredible. Um, look, uh, Gonzaga is not a ball hockey team defensively, but we also know that Michigan state's problems when they have them oftentimes are more self-inflicted than anything else. You know, rarely do we run into an occasion where like, wow, that team just went and stole our lunch money. It's usually why are we making these boneheaded plays, you know? So that's always a possibility. And I, you know, Gonzaga generally takes very good care of the basketball themselves. So you can't expect that they're going to kick the ball around much. It's the same as we always talk about this. If Michigan State has, you know, a three or four uh, negative margin in terms of turnovers, as long as they do a decent job on the boards, that's not a big deal, you know. But if it's an eight turnover gap, that kind of thing, that's where you start to probably run into trouble. Because Gonzaga's too good of an out, no matter how much they might struggle defensively, Gonzaga's too good offensively to where you can afford to give them that many more opportunities than you get to score. Right. Yeah. You don't want an efficient offense getting extra opportunities and turn turning over or not cleaning up the boards, which is kind of like a turnover in some ways is the same sort of effect. Right. 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 So the final, uh, final key to the game is, uh, you know, can Michigan state make waves and win on an aircraft carrier? Uh, that's, you know, that it's shoot. It's different for shooters. It's everything's just a little bit, off you're playing outside it i mean i'm sure all these guys played plenty of games outside growing up but you know they don't probably play a lot outside anymore and so they're you know there's no wind there's no sun whatever you know no seagulls it's it's just different this is our bonus sixth um sixth key because i think it's i think it's important and 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 both teams have got to play in it right i i have very general memories of that game against North Carolina and North Carolina had an extremely good team and there wasn't a lot known about or expected from that Michigan state team at that point in the season. If you remember, 
they ended up becoming a number one seed, Big Ten co-champion, Big Ten tournament champion. But at, at the point in time that that game on the aircraft carrier was played, you know, North Carolina was a heavy favorite. And North Carolina yeah, right. won that game, but it was a very competitive game. And it was the first glimpse of what we ended up seeing with that team, what developed that, oh, these guys are going to be better than people thought because Draymond Green is actually not just a good role player, but a top tier college player, a guy capable of, mm -hmm. of leading a team and putting it on his back, not just in terms of, you know, emotion, but actual production. And, oh, Keith Apley and Adrian Payne, they've gotten better. They look like they're actually the players that people expected them to be. And Brandon Dawson was a freshman who had so much athletic ability and toughness. It was our first glimpse at that. But it was a weird game. Now, this one seems to be, this is a little less momentous in a couple senses. One, you don't have a figure like Obama, which however you feel about him politically, you know, had a presence, had a charisma. Yes. Joe Biden's not going to be there. Uh, even if he was, he's not Obama. So it lacks that, that kind of gravitas. And it's been done. Now, it hasn't been done a lot, right. yeah. but this is not the right. first time. That was the first time. So it's a little bit different in that respect. All that said, it's the first time for all of these kids. And as you noted, playing outdoors, you know, being able to you know, deal with the depth perception. Uh, you know, this is, this is like they always talk about when you get to the NCAA tournament and you're suddenly playing <laughs> yeah. in domes that, oh, you don't have that same shooting background. It's different. Well, this is that, you know, to the nth degree. <laughs> yeah. So you wonder for, for two teams that I think expect to be pretty good shooting teams, pretty good jump shooting teams. Um, what do we see in that respect? Does it do something to limit one or both of them? Um, so that's that's something that I think is completely unpredictable, how these teams are, gonna, are going to adapt to the conditions. You know, then the other thing, too, which is worth mentioning, is we, did, we really have to just pray that the conditions are good. If you remember, if I, if I remember correctly, was it the second or third year? I don't even remember if they got a second game in, but one of those games when they, when it looked like they were going to make this an annual event got canceled due to the court condition. Yeah. Like fog or something. Humidity yeah. was too high into the court, the, I guess the flight. And then they just stopped and then they just stopped playing them, you know, until now where it's been revived. I think that's for both teams. Obviously you don't want anybody getting hurt. So that's a big deal too. I would think in general it, that you're going to see worse shooting than you normally would. And maybe it's more important to have a good inside presence, which I think you'd probably give advantage to Gonzaga if that was the case, if you're looking, right. Yeah. The, the only alternative to that would be, can Michigan state maybe make more of their guards getting to the rim than Gonzaga yeah, does? Right. I don't know. I that, don't know. Yeah. I can't wait till next year when they play in the submarine. Uh, <laughs> so moving on to, uh, the game, the line is a Ken Palm has a Gonzaga as an eight point favorite in this game. It's obviously a neutral court. Uh, there's no Vegas line that we could find at this point. It's too far out from the game as recording this. Uh, you know, I think that seems about right. I think for, you know, where Gonzaga's ranked and where Michigan State is and from last season and, you know, the, a lot of unknowns with this, the team. I, I think that's a, that's about right. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think this is a game that we definitely could win, I think, but I could definitely see it getting going south pretty easily too. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting perusing um, some Gonzaga message boards just to get uh, a sense of the temperature of their fan base. It, it seemed to me, my observation was that uh, particularly coming off that Tennessee scrimmage where they just got blown out in the second half, I think the confidence level of that fan base, which isn't worth very much, but uh, I'll mention it anyway, is that it seems to me their belief is this is not a national title contender right now. Mm-hmm. That they're hoping that over the course of the season they develop into that. But that right now, I saw a lot of comments about this is really like a top 15, top 20 team right now. Well, if you believe that, if that's accurate, then you'd say, yeah, Michigan State has a hell of a chance to pull it off. If you believe that Gonzaga truly is one of the two best teams in the country, well, maybe not as good a shot. Um, I think it's a hell of a test anyway. And, and look, Michigan State fans, and I know they forget this every year, but you need to remind yourself, nothing is won or lost on December or on November 11th, or on December 11th for that matter. This is an opportunity to get a level check, find out how good you are, whether the things that you thought you were good at, you really are. Perhaps your weaknesses are better or worse than you feared. And you begin to make adjustments. So it's, it's very, very important to keep it in perspective. Now, uh, speaking solely as a fan who probably like everybody listening to this sweats all these games out, (laughs) you know, yeah, you don't, you don't love just this murderer's row that this is sort of the kickoff of. You'd like to have a breather, like, you know, like last night, you'd like to have one or two of those in the mix, not too many, but one or two of those. And they don't have that. Um, but the, the upside is there are opportunities here for this Michigan state team to gain confidence and to begin to um, believe in themselves and develop a little bit of a sense of what they can be with this group. And I think it's, I think that's the way you gotta, you gotta view it. If it goes well, okay. You've played a very good program. You've learned some things you've gotten better. And if it doesn't go as well, okay, you've learned where you got to improve. And that's really it. There's not a lot of downside to these games from where I sit. I I totally agree. It's not like college football where you lose a game like this and now you're out of the playoffs or maybe you get lucky. You have to win every other game after this. You, you can, you can risk it all the time. And there's, there's a, there's all, it's only upside really, unless you're getting, you know, blown up by 30 and everything. But even, even that, even that, nobody wants to go through that, but you know, I, I will remind people a Michigan state team that I saw get absolutely waxed at Ford field in, I think it was early December that year by North Carolina in 2009, ended up in the national championship game. Now they had the misfortune of playing that same North Carolina team who did it to them again, (laughs) but the point remains, they got to the national title game. They won the big 10, they won a regional. So the idea that, you know, even a bad loss is some kind of death sentence is ridiculous. That's not how this sport works. And it's not how Tom Izzo's ever worked. So, you know, I say all of that, but I'm not saying that because I believe, oh, Michigan State's really walking into a buzzsaw and it's a definite blowout. I don't believe that. I think they've got a chance to win this one. 
And, and even if they don't win it, if they're competitive, I think that's going to breed further confidence for this team, you know? And, and so look, enjoy it. It's a high level game. I'll also drop one more stat, which maybe will make Michigan state fans feel a little better about this. I don't know. Michigan state's played (laughs) Gonzaga five times in the history of the programs. What's Michigan state's record against Gonzaga? I saw him beat him once in person. Okay. Time, right? I think at Breslin, yeah. Yeah, they're they're four and one. The yeah. only loss was that I believe it was triple overtime. It was at least double in overtime Maui. in yeah. Maui against Adam, where Adam Morrison and Maurice Hager just had a shootout for the ages. One of the one of the great college basketball performances you'll ever see. Um, four and one. Now it's been a while. In recent years, they haven't played in a live game. They, they've scrimmaged Gonzaga a couple times, and reportedly Gonzaga won those scrimmages. But, um, you know, four and one is four and one. So if you're looking for something to hang your hat on as a Michigan State fan who's not feeling too confident, there's your – I've thrown you your bone. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, the game, of course, is Friday night at, on ESPN. It's I think six thirty p.m. So it should be under the it should be under in daylight, right? I think that at least a, at least lights. a tip. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, because it's gonna be. Yeah, I'm trying to think what it is a Pacific time. It's gonna be like three thirty. Three thirty. Yeah. Oh yeah, the game itself will be absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's almost getting to the winter solstice here. So we're already getting to close to the dark at five or a little before five now here. So, you know, this is just part of living in Michigan. So uh, I'd encourage you again, if you've not had an opportunity, go to the final four is not on the schedule.com or if you're lazy, com. You can join our online Spartan community for free. You can also support the show which we greatly appreciate. You can go to tffinots.com slash support. There you can give either one-time uh, donations through PayPal or Venmo or a monthly become a monthly patron through Patreon. And also, if you've not had the opportunity, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star rate review for us. We'll be here back with the post-game analysis. And until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.